0: Well, it's good to be together today, this is, uh, Sunday in Advent. Is it the second or the first Sunday? Second, right. I was going to say the second, then I thought, oh gosh, I'll get that, get that wrong. Second Sunday in Advent, of course, because we started last week. Yes, right. <laughs> that would be it. I'm in the right, uh, right place. Good. Uh, so we're in this Advent series, uh, thinking, uh, leading up... To Christmas, and it's all about uh, this uh, tremendous truth that God has given this fantastic gift to us in the Lord Jesus Christ, and and we're going to be celebrating that gift all through our Christmas uh, events, and thinking just of, of of how He's given Himself in Christ, and through what Jesus has done, is giving that life uh, through Him. It's amazing. Today we're thinking about the disturbing gift. Now gifts can be disturbing, can't they, I suppose? Sometimes uh, the surprise, if you don't like surprises, then, you know, just getting a surprise gift can be a bit, ooh, I'm not quite sure how to react to that. Uh, I don't really like surprises myself that much, I must say. So, Um, Or, you know, gifts can be disturbing in that they can lead to big changes in our lives, can't they? You know, someone might give you, for example, just out of the you know top of my head a gift of a puppy say you know and that that might you know change your life considerably you know something can, can can kind of happen nobody's given me a puppy by the way and please don't do that either if any of you are thinking of doing so and that wouldn't be good for me or the puppy anyway I once went into a doctor's surgery uh, when we lived in Warwick uh, it was on our estate where we lived and, and the doctor's surgery was in a a house, one of the houses on the estate. So it wasn't exactly custom designed. It was just like a normal house. Uh, So the, the waiting room was, you went through the conservatory into what really was the dining room kitchen area in a normal house. It wasn't very big. And I went there, it was about this time of year. And I went. Um, I was absolutely fine. There was nothing wrong with me whatsoever. I had to go to the doctor's surgery to get a, a, some injections for an overseas trip that was coming up in, in January. So it was about in the evening. It was a cold, very much like this kind of weather. Damp. In I went. Um, there was one seat. This, the, the whole thing was full of people coughing and spluttering there was one chair right next to a lady who had a child on her lap who was sneezing and coughing I thought well I better go and sit in it and I did and I had my injection uh, and I came out with a gift uh, I had flu I had flu for the next uh, uh, you know after a week I was uh, quite unwell so um, what about gifts that can be disturbing what about surprise pregnancies I won't look at it in any directions in this way obviously or watch for couples looking at each other. But, um, they, they can be kind of surprises. Can be disturbing. They can be, um, wonderful. Well, they are wonderful. The arrival of children through any means, through adoption, through fostering. It's a wonderful thing. But it can also be challenging. And our lives can be disturbed by the gift that is given. Now, at the heart of the Christmas story is a a surprise pregnancy, Uh, surprising at many, many different levels. Let's read the account. Was this gift going to be disturbing? Well, let's just see. Luke chapter 1, verse 26 on page 1025. 1025. verse 26, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month, for no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. At that time, Mary got ready. And hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leapt in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. We'll read on a bit later. We saw last week, I think, um, we were looking at the beginning of Luke's gospel, that biography of Jesus like Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. We were seeing there that as the gospel began, it's, it's after four centuries of silence from God. It, it just seemed as if God had said nothing. Uh, from the end of the book of Malachi through to the beginning of the New Testament, there's this period of about 400 years of silence. God hadn't said anything. It didn't look like He'd been doing much either. Apart from, you know, the occasional kind of deliverance, there was no sense of, of them being, you know, at the heart of God's purposes for them. And as uh, Zechariah found out last week in the first part of Luke, God was now not only speaking, but on the move. God was about to do something. He was about to fulfill what was promised. And this, right in the middle of this dark time, where the Roman Empire ruled, uh, where there's this horrendous, as we shall see in the nativity accounts, uh, cruel, evil dictator, uh, this puppet kind of uh, dictator called Herod, is doing whatever he wants in, in Palestine. Right in the, in the midst of the darkness, God is going to do something. He is going to intervene. And Zechariah, this old priest, gets this message That it's happening and it started. And more than that, that he and his wife would have a miracle baby. The two of them hadn't been able to have children and they're going to have one. And this baby's not only going to be amazing because they're past the age of having children, but he's amazing because he's going to be the one that God promised in the Old Testament would come before he he came himself in the person of the king. And uh, there's the angel quotes the last book in the, of the Old Testament, Malachi, when he says, the one that's going to be born, he's going to come to make a people ready for the Lord. And when Zechariah heard that, he would have gone, ding, you know, that was Malachi. That was the promise. This is It's all going to happen. It started. God is on the move again. That was the message. Although, as you may have heard last week, uh, Zechariah had a bit of problem believing that. Uh, and uh, But he, he got there in the end. And that's why we have verse 26. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. While all this is happening, Elizabeth, uh, the, the, the pre-Zechariah's wife, is now six months pregnant. It's like saying, in the meantime, you know, cuts over to another part of the country. Up in the north of Israel, in Galilee, there's a teenager called Mary, uh, who receives a visit from the same angel, Zachariah, who showed, uh, sorry, Zechariah, uh, Gabriel, who showed up and spoke to Zechariah in the temple. Now, we know nothing about Mary, except she's a young girl. She's engaged to Joseph, and so she's a virgin. Uh, it's a disturbing encounter for her. She's greatly troubled. Verse 29. Mary was greatly troubled at his words. Actually, that's putting it mildly. The, 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 the word in the original is that she was almost traumatized by, well you would be wouldn't you if you'd seen someone who'd just come direct from the presence of the Lord. We don't see angels very often uh, these days and they didn't then either but they started seeing them around this event. So let's first of all think about the gift that's offered and received. The gift that's offered and received. The angel says you are highly favoured and again, that what it means is the angel is saying, God is being super gracious to you. You are about to receive an excessively over-the-top, generous gift from God. It's amazing. God has got something for you, says the angel. Uh, and the, the word has this idea, of, it's very hard to express in, in, in the kind of translation. It's like a massively surprised offer. And it's real. And it's given from an angel. And so uh, I guess she continues to be terrified. In fact, she does. So the angel says, don't be afraid. God's being gracious to you. He wants to do something. He wants to give you something. It's a son. (laughs) You're going to have a son. And it's not just any old son. This son, says the angel, will be called the son of the most high. And again, Mary's, she's, she's been listening to the Bible in the synagogue every week. She's learned the scriptures like other kids growing up in that culture. When you hear the word the most high, you know what that means. It's the, a, a name for, for God that starts in Genesis with Abraham. He reveals himself there as the most high. And, and one of the later, um, uh, writers in the Old Testament, Daniel, is still using the phrase when he says, "The Most High rules in the uh, uh, affairs of men and gives the kingdoms to whoever He pleases." Most High equals God, the Most High, God's Son. He's going to be the promised King. He's going to fulfil all that God promised in King David's restored dynasty. His kingdom will never end. Mary, the Son you're going to have, He's the one. He's arriving. And he's being born through you. So it's all about God's huge generosity. God's generosity to Mary and of course to all of us. Luke is stressing God's grace here and he, he, he's, it's in the language that's used. This, this favor is repeated several times and it's more than just doing you a favor. It's this hugely overwhelmingly generous act. And and Luke kind of underlines it by doing something quite interesting. If you know the uh, nativity accounts, the key players in Luke's Gospels, who we've got? Zechariah, we've got Elizabeth, we've got Joseph and Mary, but Mary here. And then we've got uh, Simeon and Anna. Do you remember Simeon and Anna in the temple? If you look, each one of those, Zechariah, Elizabeth, Simeon and Anna, Luke says they're They're really worthy people. He gives you their their background, gives you their lineage. He says, they were godly, they were holy, and they were waiting for the Messiah. Every time he introduces them, Luke says, they were really good people. They were this, that, and the other. Mary, nothing. What's he saying? He's saying, there's nothing about Mary that deserves any of this. She's just a regular, ordinary teenage girl about to be married in time to Joseph. God is generously giving this to her. He's generously giving his gift of a son to the world. Jesus, his name means God to the rescue. God saves. God's salvation. Now Mary points out, without necessarily disbelieving it, that she's not had sex with anyone, so a baby is a little surprising. Wondering how that is going to happen. And the angel answers her quite directly and says, no, she will conceive a child by God's power. There's not going to be any sex involved in this pregnancy. Later on, Mary had other children. So later on, uh, Joseph and Mary had a perfectly normal relationship. But and, and neither is this like in Greek mythology where a god comes down and impregnates a, a human. Nothing of that at all. Simply by God's power a child is going to be conceived in her and no ordinary child. And the angel says, uh, if you want, if you like, gives her this uh, reassuring kind of uh, evidence to back it up. She says, your cousin or your kinswoman, your distant relative, right down the other end of the country, Elizabeth and, and her husband Zechariah, they're going to have a baby uh, because God is on the move with them too. Now, both Matthew and Luke tell us that Jesus has no earthly father. So you might think, well, is that true? Are we expected to believe that? Well, why not? It's a miracle. Yeah, miracles, by definition, are things that don't normally happen. And, you know, Jesus' life, his death, his resurrection, give us plenty of, of solid evidence that he is not just a human being, but that he is God come into our world as a human being. And if he is God, then he would need to be born differently, wouldn't he? And if he's to have lived our lives, then he'd need to be born. Not just to kind of arrive, <laughs> kind of fully formed, but to be born as a human being. If he's really going to identify with every aspect of our lives. And if he need to be born, then it would need to be in a different way. Something like this. And Luke, he said right at the beginning of his book, he writes history. He's saying, I'm not writing theology. Well, he is writing theology. He's writing about the truth about God and how Jesus came. But he's saying, I'm writing history. I check my uh, sources. He obviously got his material from Mary. Probably, if you're interested, during a period when Paul, who Luke travelled with, probably now we're talking about 15, 20 years later uh, to Jesus' death, Luke travelled with Paul. And there's a period of time when Paul is in prison in Caesarea. And Luke is uh, in Palestine at the same time because when Paul goes on his ship on the ship to 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 leave to go and when he's shipwrecked, Luke is with them. He starts using we when he describes his story, and it's very likely we don't know for sure. But during that period, while Paul is in prison in Caesarea, Luke, who's a great historian, is out there visiting believers, got to know Mary, got the story, wrote it up. He writes history. And anyway, look at Mary's behavior. She's talking about a pregnancy, as you see in the story, right from the beginning. Even before she's missed a period, she's on her way to to tell her old auntie or cousin Elizabeth, who's the wife of a priest. (laughs) She's going to be really sympathetic to the idea of a virgin birth, isn't she? Um... You know, she's on her way to see it before there's any sign of her pregnancy whatsoever. Why would she do that? Joseph doesn't know anything about it at all until a lot later. And then he doesn't believe it, Matthew tells us. He needs a special message from an angel himself. See, there's a lot that rings true about it. Unless, of course, it's deliberately misleading, unless it's been deliberately written. As lies, you know, that Luke said, oh, I better make Mary go this early so that everyone will think it's true. It's not kind of, what about the integrity? This is, you know, God's truth. Why would Luke do that? I could say much more about that, but let's move on. So Mary believes the angel. She accepts this gift. She accepts the role that she has to play. And what does she say? She says in verse 38, May your word to me be fulfilled. The angel has told her that no word of God will ever fail. Verse 37 says, God is promising something. Mary will believe it. She says, okay, I'm the Lord's slave girl. I believe it. What's that? That is faith. She's offered this amazing gift. She realizes it will be disturbing. It will be life-changing. It might be at least a bit awkward. But she says, yes. To the offer. Grace holds out the gift. Faith says yes please. Thank you. Does that remind you of anything? Because for us. God offers us the gift of the king. Not to bring him to birth. That's already been done. But to have him as our Lord and our saviour. His presence in our lives. And all we have to do. Is say yes. And this principle I think applies throughout the Christian life. God offers us himself. He offers the, his, the truth of his word. He declares his goodness. He declares his presence. He says a lot of things in his word. Here's the question. Will we believe it? Will we receive what he offers us? And go with his gracious offer? Where God's word says something to us. Will we like Mary say May your word to me be fulfilled. Is there something that, that you know, God has said to you through his word? That today you need to say, Okay, may your word to me be fulfilled. I'll receive what you're offering me, Father. It's a, it's a simple thing in many ways. And yet it's, I think, quite profound. I was sharing a heartbeat. I was very challenged recently in in a meeting with some other leaders in the city, church leaders. And we were talking about the the outreach that there was and the openness that there's been in the city as people have gone out on the streets and told others about Jesus and they've prayed and all of that kind of thing. And uh, Adam, this guy, Adam Kluwer from New Community, made this observation. He said, um, you know, Jesus in the Bible, Jesus says to the disciples, it's harvest, there is a harvest. And we say, no, there isn't. No, there won't be anyone out there who wants to hear about Jesus. We say, no, Jesus, you're wrong, there isn't. And Adam said, what we discovered in those couple of weeks was actually Jesus was right and we're wrong. And I was very challenged by that. Because for me, it's easier, especially, and perhaps for others of us, um, when you've been in, 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 and I've only visited, not lived there, but there are parts of the world where it is much easier, where it's like the tide is in. You go to Nepal or, or Iran at the moment, actually in lots of other places in the world, where it's much easier to share Christ and see people come to know him. And then, you, and I've often said, well, it's hard to float a boat when the tide is out because it sometimes feels like that. here. Well, I, I was challenged. I've said that too much. I'm listening to my kind of temperament too much and not enough of what Jesus says because Jesus says there is harvest there. Do you see what I mean? We can take God's word and, and are we going to receive it and say yes to it or are we going to walk on by? What happens? Well, Mary immediately heads off to the other side of the country to check out what the angel said about her relative. Is it true? as i say she's gone straight off no signs of pregnancy just the angel's word she gets uh, probably after 2 or 3 days travelling um this is actually very uh, interesting behaviour she she's behaving in a, a a different kind of way this would not be the normal way for her to go off you know presumably on her own to the other side of the country No reference to Joseph and whatnot. But anyway, that's what she's done. Already, this kind of new kingdom is changing the way people behave, which is uh, an interesting uh, observation someone has made. So off she goes. And when she gets there, Elizabeth, Zechariah's wife, hears Mary's voice. The baby leaps in her womb and the Holy Spirit gives her something to say. And again, what is it that she says? It's this underlying theme she talks of God's favor, God's blessing, God's grace, God's generosity. She kind of, that's what Elizabeth says. And then Mary, verse 45, blessed is she who has believed. Mary's faith, God's generosity, God's grace, Mary's faith in receiving God's gift is kind of underlined again in that part. God is generous. God coming into the world in this way, what we call theologically the incarnation, is the most generous act in the history of the universe, isn't it? Think of it. What amazing generosity. God has given us his son. God loved the world so much that he gave his only son. That whoever, what, believes in him shouldn't perish but have eternal life. God's generosity invites our response of faith, of belief receiving him. The gift offered and the gift received. Let's move on and see what happens next as we think for a few minutes about the gift celebrated. Mary said... Verse 46, my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. ever just as he promised our ancestors. Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned home. A gift celebrated. Now imagine it's fair I was trying to think of something that would be parallel but this is just such an amazing thing that there's almost nothing that parallel but imagine you've heard the best news ever. Yeah, you know, the thing that maybe you know that you may have wanted that someone's going to give you, or I, I'm going to say winning the lottery, but that's not a very good example, is it? But but you know, just some, just something. Imagine you've heard it. And you imagine that you could hardly believe it, but you do believe it. But you you know, you just did I really believe that? And and you spend maybe two or three days on the road thinking about it, traveling like Mary did, and when you get there. You know, you—it's confirmed without a shadow of doubt that yes, it's true. It's going to happen. What would you do? Well, would you sing a little song or do a dance or, you know, if there was someone with you, some people are nodding. You'd be going, "Whoa, this is going to happen!" You know, uh, uh, and and that's the spirit that's going on here—the kind of spirit, I suppose, that when. You know, when the war ended, I think you know I, may, I wasn't around. I suppose some of us may remember. Is that right? You know, there was this sense of everyone was you know dancing in the streets and celebrating when peace came. It's it's that kind of reaction that we see in Mary. She bursts into song. Actually, it's that's putting it mildly. She goes wild in worship. Actually, the words here: My soul glorifies the, God, the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Again, <coughs> these are you know it, the, the words are about something bursting out of her. She just cannot contain it any longer. Now, some people say, "Well, Mary, where did she get this from?" Because it's an amazing a piece of an uh, amazing song. People say, "Oh, you know, skeptics. Oh, she. I thought she was a, a, a peasant girl. How could she have come out with something like this?" Well. Number one, she's had a few days on the road pondering it. Okay, I think I think she may have been thinking, you know, about it as she went when it was a confirmed. Woof! It all came out. Number two, uh, even as a, a simple peasant girl, she would have known the Old Testament, and this is absolutely packed full of references or or phrases. From the, the worship material that she would have known from the Psalms. It reflects Hannah. Hannah, remember Hannah, the mother of Samuel? She, she kind of had a similar kind of expression of praise and worship. So, so, you know, and, and sometimes people who may not be that kind of literate, but know hymns or, or know the scriptures, you know, you, you pray with them and it all kind of, they pray the hymns or they pray the scriptures and the stuff, the phrases they know kind of come out under the emotion. So that could be that that's happening. And then, of course, the Holy Spirit fills Elizabeth, <laughs> and as she speaks under the power of the Holy Spirit, uh, the Holy Spirit is giving Mary the words as well. Or maybe a combination of all of those things. There's no reason whatsoever to think that this is some bit that, you know, cl- clever theologians have added later. Now, this is Mary's song. I think Luke, you know, she remembered it. She told Luke, and he wrote it down. And it's amazing. Look at what she celebrates. She celebrates first of all God's generosity. She, this is her praise. Over, her song overflows with generous praise to a generous God who has blessed her. Someone with nothing, she says. She's His humble slave girl. She says, He's been merciful. He is the savior. He's the rescuer. He is the mighty one. He is the holy God, and He's been generous to me. Says Mary. But it's not about Mary. That's the great thing about it. It's not about Mary. It's about God and about his greatness and his grace. And it's the same for us. We're nobodies. We've got nothing, really. We deserve nothing. But God's generosity uh, to Mary is the same generosity we receive from God. He offers us the gift of himself. So Mary celebrates God's generosity. She celebrates God's works. Look at all those phrases there in the middle part from verse 50 onward. His mercy extends. It's going to be for generations. There's these great pictures of God putting things right. The proud are out. The proud rulers are gone and the humble are in their place. The hungry are filled and the rich are empty. His picture of God putting everything that was wrong right. Now, you might think, well, that doesn't sound much like Mary's world then. It doesn't sound much like our world now either, does it? In places or in anywhere, in fact. But what Mary is saying is that something has started. Jesus, the king who will be born, is going to change everything. And she uses a, a tense. She speaks of it in the past. A, 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 something that is, is she's looking forward to. But she speaks of it as if it's already done. Because it's God's word and it's God's promise. And it's just a question of the time scale. And that's how the Old Testament prophets also spoke on some occasion. So people talk about the prophetic present tense. When the Old Testament prophets talk of, of God doing something, it, it's that He will do it. But that He so certain is that it will be accomplished that they use the present tense. And this is what Mary is doing here. It started, the king is coming. And one day he will finish what he started. It started. He's come. The kingdom is here. One day he will complete it. In the meantime, we're with him in what he's doing. So she celebrates God's work. She also celebrates God's purpose. His plan is being activated. In the last part of the song, she celebrates God's plan, God's actions, God's purposes. She says, people who follow in the footsteps of Abraham. People who are like Israel. We saw her like Jacob. Descendants in faith. Walking with God as the kingdom comes on earth. These people are are going to be part of it, says Mary. And we are these people. As we were thinking, that was the whole point of the series. We are the descendants of Abraham and, and Jacob. We walk with our God. We serve our king as we pray, as we serve, as we witness, as we wait actively for the day it will all be done. Because the day is coming when it will be done. And it's started already. So where is this kingdom to be found? Not with the powerful, not with the proud, not with the rulers, but with the humble, with the hungry. The revolution has started. And if we're following the King, we should be living it, shouldn't we? It's a disturbing gift. This King, this kingdom, will rock Mary's world in a particularly personal way for her. But this kingdom will rock our world too. Everything will be shaken. Something big has started. It's Advent, it started. It will be finished. So we can receive God's gift. God's generosity is so great. He's given himself to us. So if we receive him, if we believe in him, that's faith. We become children of God. We become adopted into his family. We become those who know him as our father, our friend, and our Lord. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. We can receive that gift. Now it's a gift that can be disturbing. In a wonderfully good way it will shake our lives. Though it's not always easy. There can be troubles that come too. But we have the joy of knowing the mighty one whose name is holy. So we're challenged to be holy too. It can be personally disturbing as things in our lives have to change to be brought in line with his holiness, his righteousness, his kingdom. And this gift of a king whose kingdom is overturning the world order takes us to all kinds of different places. Might take us to an island in the middle of the Indian Ocean. Might take us to Central Asia. Might take us across the road to invite someone to Carol's on the Wreck. Might take us to, to get involved in Breakfast Club or to be um, sharing God's goodness with international students or your next door neighbor. It might take us anywhere. But it. Yeah, that, that's right, Jane. People on the streets, that's what I mean. Yeah. To be there, because the kingdom may be there. When we think it's in the council chamber, it's actually somewhere completely different. So what do we need to say yes to? Let me leave you with this. In your life, may your word be fulfilled in me. What do you need to say yes to God? Might be to receive Jesus into your life. It might be the word that tells you lovingly to say no to sin in your life and in my life. It could be the word that promises us fruitfulness or a harvest. So we're going to invite someone to the carol service or give someone a copy of Try Praying or whatever. It could be that word that promises grace in suffering. That when we're suffering and we've asked God, Lord, like Paul did, please take this away from me, he says, It's okay. My grace is enough. It's maybe it's to receive that word and say, may that word be fulfilled in me. I don't know what it is. It's for the Holy Spirit to put onto your heart what that word might be. Mary said, yes. Look what happened. What could God do in our lives if we trust him and say yes? So where shall we start? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your generous grace. We thank you for that verse in the Bible that says, we know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. That though he was rich, for our sakes became poor. So that we, through his poverty, might be rich. Thank you for the generous act. Father, the generosity of, of you coming, the almighty God becoming a, a single or double-celled zygote or whatever it's called, in a, of a, uh, the uterus of a, t- uh, of a teenager to be born and then to live among us, to die and to be raised To be our King and our Lord. Lord, it's an amazing thing. And we thank you for the example of this young girl, Mary, who said yes to you. And we pray, Lord, that we may follow that example of faith in response to your gracious generosity. And that our lives may be those that, as it were, live the kingdom and honour the King. In Jesus' name. Amen.